that just feels audacious. We have this plan that we're going to do this amazing thing. To me, this feels like exactly the kind of stuff that NASA does, right? We're going to go and we're going to collect these samples and we're going to take all of these steps and we're going to bring them back to Earth so that we can analyze them. You know, I would dream about the possibility of bringing samples back from Mars and what a fantastic thing that would be. And it was always, you know, in the future, you know, 10, 20 years in the future. And so um, having the possibility now, I can't tell you how excited I am just because it's really starting to feel real. Perseverance is collecting the samples as we speak. Welcome to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. NASA and the European Space Agency are working together to bring the first samples of Mars material back to Earth for detailed study in the most sophisticated, state-of-the-art labs by current and future generations. We're excited to welcome two scientists for the Mars Sample Return Mission to the podcast. Would you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is uh, Minakshi Wadwa. I usually go by Mini, and uh, I'm director of the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State University, and I'm also principal scientist of the Mars Sample Return Program. Hi, my name is Lindsay Hayes, and I am at NASA headquarters where I'm a program scientist in the Planetary Sciences Division. Um, and for Mars Sample Return, I am the deputy lead scientist for Mars Sample Return. Thank you both for joining us. Lindsay, let's start with an overview of the Mars Sample Return mission. Sure. So for the Mars Sample Return mission, um, it really starts with the Mars 2020 rover, Perseverance. Perseverance is right now on the surface of Mars, uh, collecting samples, uh, rocks, regolith, atmosphere, those sorts of things for return. So they're collecting these samples, putting it in, in sample tubes and storing it on, on the rover itself. The next step, uh, which will be happening soon, will be putting down some of these samples, what we're calling a cache, um, on the surface of Mars. Um, after putting down the cache, it'll continue to collect samples in the sort of in the, as it as it continues to explore further up the Jezero Delta and and beyond, and it will continue to collect samples up until the time that the next lander arrives at Mars. Um, this next lander, the sample retrieval lander, uh, will will come down to the surface. Uh, once it is there, we have two sample retrieval helicopters that will go and will work with Mars 2020. Um, the, the sample retrieval helicopters will pick up samples, will bring them back to the lander, where they will be loaded in what we call a, a canister that we call the orbiting sample container. This orbiting sample container, once it's full of as many samples as we have to put in there, uh, will be loaded into what we call the Mars Ascent Vehicle. The Mars Ascent Vehicle then launches off the surface of Mars. Um, once in orbit around Mars, it will release that orbiting sample container. And the orbiting sample container will then be picked up by the Earth Return Orbiter, um, or the ERO. It will catch in space that orbiting sample container. It will encapsulate it in a couple layers, um, think sort of nesting doll situation, um, and bring that sample container back to Earth. Once it gets close to Earth, it will release the Earth Entry Vehicle, which is this sort of uh, big dome-shaped thing um, that will come down, uh, will land in the Utah Test and Training Range, UTTR, and ultimately the samples there will be brought to a sample receiving facility for curation, 
um, and some initial safety science analyses. Wow, Lindsay, so many components to this mission. Definitely. Minnie, it sounds complicated. Well, that's because it is complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's definitely one of the more ambitious robotic programs that uh, NASA has ever undertaken. But uh, you know, that's that's where NASA shines, right? I mean, there's 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 all of this challenge, but uh, you know, all of the pieces we know how to how to do them, and so um, you know, it is complicated. But what, what, you know, one of the things that I did want to uh, mention is that you know we are going to be hopefully bringing the samples back um, by about 2033. That's the current timeline. Um, and and basically the Perseverance rover, and Lindsay mentioned that Perseverance is collecting samples right now. Um, the plan is for that to be the prime pathway for delivering the samples to the sample retrieval lander that's going to launch the the Mars Ascent vehicle that'll bring the samples back eventually. Um, and the helicopters hopefully will only come into play really if, if there's, a, there's a problem with Perseverance, uh, which we hope there won't be. That's a great point. Yeah. I get so excited about the helicopters because it's a really exciting, it's a really exciting backup there, but um, that's, that's right. <laughs> exactly. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's been so much fun watching Ingenuity and hearing all about that. So this mission is going to just follow on and continue to keep everybody's attention for sure. Could you share the latest updates in terms of the mission architecture and the timeline? So the Mars Sample Return Program, the latest architecture for that you know, there had been some dis- discussions earlier about whether there might be a rover that might retrieve, um, a separate rover than Perseverance that might retrieve the samples from the surface of Mars to bring them back to the sample retrieval lander. But at the current time, the architecture only involves two launches, one for the Earth Return Orbiter that's going to be launched in 2027. And the second launch is the sample retrieval lander uh, which will launch in 2028. And that's the one that's going to carry with it a Mars Ascent vehicle. And it's also going to carry the two helicopters that Lindsay mentioned. And so the helicopters are the latest addition to the architecture for the Mars Sample Return Program. As I, as I said before, there was originally the plan to have a uh, sample fetch rover provided by ESA, but uh, that architecture has now been simplified and uh, we're basically going to have the helicopters be sort of the backup pathway for delivering samples to the sample retrieval lander. So the plan is for the retrieval lander to land on Mars sometime in the 2030 timeframe and basically the samples will be delivered hopefully prim- primarily by Perseverance And then um, the return will happen in 2033. What are some of the unique technical challenges of this mission? Well, you know, I I think Minnie made a great point earlier when she said that each of the steps along the way, right, we're we're planning for each of the steps and there's there's a lot of complicating things to put together, but we feel fairly confident in our ability to do each of the steps. But, you know, there, there are a lot. Um, you know, I think that uh, one of the unique technical challenges is this handoff between two spacecraft. Um, you know, this actual transfer, we have, you know, sort of multiple instances where two separate spacecraft are having to work together. You know, we have um, the sample transfer arm taking the samples and putting them, you know, loading them into the Oz, that sort of thing. We have um, the Oz being captured by ERO, um, those kinds of spacecraft require, you know, two different systems to work together and to work together really, really well. 
And then the other thing I think that's a really pretty unique technical challenge is the sample receiving facility. Um, you know, once we get the samples back on Earth, the sample receiving facility has to combine uh, multiple aspects that we've, you know, we've seen before, things like sample curation, but also, you know, BSL equivalent and thinking about how to keep the samples really clean from outside contamination and also um, contained so we can do um, really, you know, the good science to understand what's there and make sure that the samples are safe and interesting. One of the things that I would add also to the real challenges for this particular um program for the Mars Sample Return Program is that there are some things, as Lindsay mentioned, there's some things that we have not actually done before that we're going to be doing this time. And, you know, I think we know technologically how to do them, but this is going to be the first time that we're going to actually do some of these things. And one of them actually is the launching of the Mars Ascent vehicle from the surface of Mars. We've never actually launched from the surface of another planet before. And so this is going to be, this is certainly going to be, you know, first time activity for us and, uh, you know, present some challenges, but I think, you know, we have, we have the technological expertise to do that. Lindsay, how are partnerships and collaboration shaping up for this mission? You know, one of the more exciting aspects of, of MSR to me is just how many different groups are going to be involved in this. You know, this is really, um, you know, this is really going to be an international endeavor, right? We are um, partnering with ESA. ESA has been our partners for this for a long time. Uh, right now, they're taking the lead on the Earth Return Orbiter and that, you know, sample transfer robotic arm on the lander. Um, within NASA, you know, sort of internally, we have this mission this is a mission that is spread out across multiple centers, right? JPL is managing sort of the overall campaign, um, taking the lead on the sample retrieval lander. We have Goddard Space Flight Center working on the capture of containment and return system, which is the sort of thing that captures the Oz um, on ERO. And so they, they are partnering with ESA and making sure that those two pieces fit together. Um, Marshall is taking the lead on the Mars Ascent vehicle. Uh, Langley is working on the Earth Entry vehicle. Ames is working on the thermal protection system for the Earth Entry vehicle. Uh, Johnson Space Center is taking the lead for the sample receiving project. Uh, Kennedy Space Center is, you know, providing launch support. You know, we're partnering with industry for this, right? We have Lockheed Martin is going to be working on the, the Mavis contract, um, which is going to be helping us with the MAV and everything. Um, and then when you think about science partnerships, this is a really international endeavor, right? You know, we are working with scientists around the world uh, because the science that we can get out of these samples or that we're hoping to be able to get out of these samples will be truly unique, truly a first um, in terms of our ability to analyze samples that have been um, collected uh, with in situ information um, and, and sort of scientifically selected samples as a way to understand this environment that we're examining. So on, on multiple levels, we're working with folks, you know, just, just all over. There's a lot of us. There's a lot of people working on this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is not, and to put it another way, this is not a thing that you can go alone. This is a thing where we need, um, you know, we, we recognize that there are expertise um, that we can work with and that can be a part of this team um, all over. And we're really excited to be working with those people. What do you hope to learn? So there's actually 
a lot of science that's already happening at Mars and ha- has happened at Mars with all of the remote assets that we've had over the you know many years, including orbiters and and rovers and all of the you know science investigations that go with that. But you know over the last couple of decades, the science community has really I mean really sort of spoken through these kind of processes, you know, the decadal process, for example, and said that, you know, the highest, one of the highest priority ways in which we can advance our understanding of, of Mars as a planet and whether life ever um, originated there, um, <laughs> that basically that's the next step towards that is Mars sample return. And so there's a lot to learn that we can only really learn once we bring the samples, carefully selected and documented samples with geologic context um, that's already being provided, of course, by the by the rover that's there collecting the samples, well-characterized samples back to Earth and, and studied in Earth-based laboratories um, to understand, you know, what we can about uh, the geologic history. We want to understand, you know, when did the planet form? When did it accrete? When did the major differentiation events that formed, you know, the many sort of geochemical reservoirs on the planet, you know, core, mantle, and crust, when did that happen? And specifically about the Jezero uh, region where we are collecting the samples from, we are, you know, trying to understand the history of that particular region, understanding the history of climate um, over time, understanding the geologic evolution of that place, all of those things are things that we will learn from bringing the samples back. And maybe Lindsay wants to say a little bit more about uh, the astrobiological potential as well. Yeah, I think Minnie did a fantastic job. I mean, there's so, so much um, that, that we could potentially learn from MSR. And, you know, I think that the the real one of the real values of MSR is the ability to have these fantastic samples but also understand the context, right? Mars 2020 is this extremely capable rover that's making all these contextual measurements that we then can bring to bear when we do the analyses of the individual samples we're looking at, which I think is a really great combination. Um, And part of the reason that this mission is not you know, a simple grab and go. This is a real, you know, understand what samples you're collecting, what any analyses you do of these individual samples can tell you about the bigger picture. And I, it's it's important to everything that Minnie mentioned um, completely. In addition to that, though, right, if we're thinking about uh, this area, uh, specifically Jezero Crater, or if we're thinking about Mars broadly as an astrobiological context, you know, one of the things that we've learned from years of astrobiological examination of our own planet and looking at sort of deep time on our own planet is that if you don't understand the context of the measurements you're making, when you're either looking for habitability or signs of habitability, when you're looking for signs of ancient life, or even when you're looking for signs of modern life, which is not exactly one of the goals of MSR, but um, when you're looking, when you're making astrobiological investigations, if you don't understand the context of the measurements you're making, you don't really know what you're looking at. And so the ability for this, you know, for, for Mars 2020 and MSR writ large, to, to, to collect these samples that then we can place in a broader context um, is just huge. And so, you know, a, another role of mine at NASA headquarters is as the deputy for the astrobiology program. And so, you know, to me, uh, what we may be able to learn from these samples about, you know, the astrobiological potential, the p- looking for signs of past life or signs of habitability on Mars um, is, is really exciting. 
Minnie, how do you determine which materials to collect from Mars? Well, that's a really uh, great question, actually, because, you know, there are, of course, um, orbital studies that have been done of uh, the Jezero crater area where we are collecting these samples. And so there's, we do understand on uh, sort of large scale some of the context, but when it gets down to basically selecting exactly which rocks we're going to collect, you know, there's a very sophisticated laboratory, really, that's... Uh, that's on the Perseverance rover at the current time. And so we are able to really get a lot of uh, information. Of course, there's, there's the MASTCAM-Z camera system that you know, looks at the rock units and is able to provide um, some information, even from the sort of spectral analyses, you know, broadly of what kinds of compositions you might be looking at. And then, you know, there's also other um, instruments that can tell us something about the uh, chemistry of the rocks, the mineralogy of the rocks. And so based upon what we're seeing, we can kind of um, have some basic information about, you know, what kind of rock types they might be. And uh, those really go into, that kind of information really goes into then deciding, you know, which particular rock units to go and sample. Because again, you know, our, our interest is in really collecting as diverse a suite of samples from the Jezero Crater region uh, to get a representative, uh, you know, understanding through the representative suite of these samples and understanding of the geologic history of that particular region, but then more broadly, uh, you know, be able to understand uh, planetary scale processes as well. And so, you know, there's a, a, a range of expertise on the Mars 2020 team of geologists and people that have looked at, you know, many different types of rocks on, on Earth, as well as um, in other planetary environments uh, more, you know, remotely. And so, uh, with that context in mind, you know, we're able to uh, apply that to selecting uh, a diverse suite of samples to target to uh, then basically make, make the decisions about which ones to collect. And, and I'll just jump in and add, you know, sort of one other thing, of course, is that Mars 2020 has, you know, a set of science goals, right? And, and MSR has a set of science goals and thinking about, you know, what are, you know, what samples as, as we as we explore as Mars 2020 as the Perseverance rover explores Jezero Crater and potentially beyond, um, you know, we, we it, it continues to be thinking about those particular goals um, and sort of writ large, as many pointed out, you know, a diverse set of samples is really the key to answering that. But getting samples that can help address each of those objectives is, is really key. And then why is it better to do the sample analysis on Earth instead of remotely? You know, to me, the whole point of MSR, and, and you know, Minnie answered the question so well about, it, it is complicated. Um, the, the whole point of the MSR architecture that we're going with um, is really in service of the most science of, from these samples, right? From sending this extremely capable Mars 2020 Perseverance rover, as, as Minnie pointed out, to, to this area, the selection of which you know site on Mars we're going to select, the uh, the incredible attention that folks like Mini pay to sample integrity and making sure that each of these samples um, is is preserved or is is taken care of as best as possible along the way, all of this um, is in service of the best science, and that applies to doing the sample analysis on Earth as well. Right, once the samples come back, we have the ability on Earth 
to take these samples, these these tiny precious samples, um, and apply you know the the full force, the full capability of all of the Earth laboratories that we have. Um, we have the ability to really, um, in environments that we are comfortable with, that we've been working with extraterrestrial samples in for, for decades or longer in some places, um, we have the ability to apply all of those methods to looking at the samples and then take those samples and send them to these earthbound laboratories, you know, bringing them back to Earth instead of doing them in situ on Mars means you can take all of the scientific capability and apply those to each of those samples, which is how you really get as much information out of them as possible. And many, you may have some some other insights as well. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah. So, as Lindsay said, right? I mean, you you have access to the entire arsenal of uh, you know technological um, you know advantages that you that instruments on the Earth have to offer for the analysis of these materials. You know, spacecraft are inherently limited in terms of you know, the mass of material that you can take with you and, um, you know, the energy cost and all of that. And so uh, on Earth, of course, there's no limiting factor like that. I mean, there are instruments like, um, you know, synchrotrons that are, you know, the size of city blocks that you would right? never be able to, <laughs> you'd never be able to take those on a spacecraft. But I mean, they're really going to be key to really looking at, at almost the atomic scale, you know, the samples. And so to really understanding, you know, the th- kinds of things that we hope to understand, that's what you need. And so that's going to be one big advantage. And then, of course, there's the huge advantage of time that you have mm-hmm. once you bring samples back here on Earth, because, you know, you might think of questions that you've not even thought about, you know, now. In the future, you might have questions that you can address with those samples. These samples are going to be available for generations to come. Such an important point. Yeah, and you'll be able to analyze them, you know, with instruments that don't exist today, you know, way into the future. And we've seen that with the, you know, for example, with the Apollo samples, right? And and we had we had some samples that we opened just last, I guess, in the last couple of years that had been sealed for uh, and stored for, for like 50 years that were yeah. returned by the Apollo missions. And that's the kind of thing that, that, you know, sample return enables that really you can't do just from remote analyses on space by spacecraft. You know, I, I'll just, I'll just throw out that I use an example, which is, you know, I, um, when you, you think about the, the pieces you take with you when you travel, right. You know, if you travel to, you know, if you, if you travel a lot, you probably have, you know, like your, your tiny version of maybe your hair dryer or something like that. And it's maybe not as good as the one you have at home, but it does the trick and it's fine if you're traveling with it, but the one you have at home is huge and does a great job and makes your hair look fantastic. Um, you know, you can have those really capable instruments if you don't have to carry them with you. And, you know, there's weight constraints and power constraints and all of those things. So back on earth allows you to really do the best science, get as much value out of these samples as possible. What excites you most about Mars sample return? Gosh, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> question because, you know, I have, I have thought about Mars sample return since I was a graduate student, really, because I, you know, I, st- I started actually, you know, my research was focused on Mars meteorites for my doctoral thesis. And I, you know, I said, how, oh, you know, this is wonderful to have these meteorites, but really, you know, we don't have the geologic context for these samples. We don't know where on Mars they came from. Um, there's also limitations in that, you know, the meteorites, of course, um, have been sitting around on the earth in many cases for, you know, tens, 
to hundreds of thousands of years. And so uh, the interaction with the earth environment, of course, has altered them. And so I, you know, I would dream about <laughs> the possibility of bringing samples back <laughs> from Mars and uh, you know, what a fantastic thing that would be. And it was always, you know, in the future, you know, 10, 20 years in the future. And so um, having the possibility now, you know, we're in the planning phases. We're just about ready to move into phase B for a Mars sample return program. And and that I can't tell you how excited I am just because it's really starting to feel real. Um, Perseverance is collecting the samples as we speak. We're getting ready to place these samples in a first depot on the surface of Mars. And uh, that's going to be, of course, um, you know, a backup plan in the in case Perseverance is unable to deliver samples eventually, which we hope, of course, is, uh, you know, Perseverance will be the one to deliver those samples. But you know, we're moving towards planning for more sample return, and and it's happening. So it's just super exciting. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Real. <laughs> you know, I, I want to go back to something that, that Minnie said, which was, to me, the thing that excites me the most about this is just, you know, this kind of audacious, you know, every time I, I explain the, the whole process of MSR to somebody, it's sort of, and then there's more, and then there's this, and then this thing is going to happen. And it just feels audacious. We have this plan that we're going to do this amazing thing. To me, this feels like exactly the kind of stuff that NASA does, right? We're going to go and we're going to collect these samples and we're going to take all of these steps and we're going to bring them back to earth so that we can analyze them. Just the, you know, the dream big, you know, JPL's dare mighty things, right? The idea that we're going to go out and we're going to do something that, you know, that involves all of these steps that we've never put them all together, you know, in this, in this order before. And, and we're going to do it, you know, it's happening. We're, we're making this happen. It's, is super exciting to me. Um, you know, and then back to the other question about partnerships, the fact that we're working with, with really an international community in this, I think is also really important. You know, I think the fact that MSR is this um, whole group of folks across different places and different centers and different backgrounds and different expertise coming together to do this. I mean, to me, that really speaks to, you know, sort of the best that we do as explorers, as sort of looking out and thinking about new things and, and working together with other people to make it happen, I think is great. I, I, I really agree with that. You know, I think that that's such an important thing, you know, especially in these challenging times to be reminded mm -hmm. of what, you know, humanity is really capable of when we set our minds to it. I mean, it's, it's an audacious goal and, and it requires many, many countries and many people to work together. And just that's just super exciting. I totally agree with Lindsay on that. And a big thank you to Lindsay and Minnie for joining us on the podcast. You'll find their bios and links to topics discussed during our conversation at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast, along with a show transcript. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future guests or topics on the podcast. If you have a suggestion, please share your idea with us on Twitter at NASA Apple. That's A-P-P-E-L or contact us via the NASA Apple Knowledge Services website. As always, thanks for listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps.